You're listening to the podcast Surgery I See Rounds. My name is Dr. Jeffrey Guy. I'm an associate professor of surgery and director of the Burn Center at the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Today is uh, February the 1st, 2009, and the article that I'd like to discuss is an article that appeared in the January 2009 uh, edition of Annals of Surgery, and it's a paper entitled Survival with Emergency Tourniquet Use to Stop Bleeding and Major Limb Trauma, and the lead author on it is a gentleman called Colonel John F. Krog, and the senior author is Colonel John Holcomb. Uh, the authors introduced the paper by discussing that hemorrhage from injured extremities continues to be a major uh, cause of preventable deaths on the battlefield. And uh, the um, uh, data from recent conflicts involving U.S. military personnel confirmed the continued importance of improving pre-hospital hemorrhage control. As a response to this, the United States Army basically has implemented uh, a design and testing and training of a field program for battlefield tourniquets. And as a result of that, uh, they have instituted a policy in which all military personnel that are on the battlefield will uh, carry a tourniquet and be trained in its use. As a result of these efforts, tourniquets are now common on the battlefields both in Iraq and Afghanistan in the hands of both medical and non-medical personnel. The authors report in their study, and, and this is what's just really fascinating when you look at the methods of their study. This study was done in 2006. It was done over a seven-month period of time, and this was done at a combat support hospital in Baghdad. Over that seven-month period of time, the authors report that they treated 2,800 injured military and civilian casualties with major limb trauma. Now, you didn't hear those numbers in properly. They're reporting 2,800 major limb injuries over a seven-month period. Now, of those 2,800, over 2,800 um, uh, patients with major limb trauma, only 232, roughly 8%, had tourniquets, and there were 428 tourniquets applied on 309 injured limbs. So when you start doing that calculus, it's obvious that there were people who had multiple limb injuries, certainly I'm sure from the uh, trauma of some major blast injuries. Now they looked at uh, the emergency tourniquet use and casualties provided for shock, whether they had absent or weak pulses, and pre-hospital emergency department tourniquet use. They also evaluated those casualties indicated for tourniquets but had none used. And then they basically uh, evaluated the survival rates and limb outcomes of those patients. The authors reported that in their cohort there were 31 deaths, which was a rate of about 13%. When tourniquets were used when shock was absent, it was strongly associated with survival of 90% versus 10%, and it was statistically significant. Pre-hospital tourniquets were applied in 194 patients, of which 22 had died, and that's an 11% mortality. Uh, whereas 38 patients had uh, emergency department application of tourniquets, of which nine died, and that presents a mortality rate of 24%, and again, statistically significant. They reported the five casualties indicated for tourniquets but had none used had a survival rate of zero versus 87% for those casualties with tourniquets used. Four patients, about 1.7%, sustained transient nerve palsy at the level of the tourniquet. Uh, no amputations uh, were required solely for the use of tourniquets. Now, tourniquets have been somewhat over the years a, a controversial topic. When I initially started in pre-hospital care, um, 
back in the mid-80s, we applied tourniquets for traumatic injuries, and we also did something called rotating tourniquets for the management of congestive heart failure. That subsequently fell out of favor, and it was concerned that by the the application of tourniquets to a... a, um, uh, major limb trauma would further deprive a uh, injured tissue of blood flow, making it further ischemic and perhaps creating uh, increased tissue damage and, and perhaps even increasing the likelihood of um, uh, limb loss. The use of tourniquets for the treatment of uh, limb trauma and limb examination is another one of those interesting topics that those of you who have been around the block for a few years have recognized has changed its position dramatically. Uh, I started doing pre-hospital care uh, in the mid-80s, and then we were taught uh, basic basic EMT on up that in the case of major limb injury, one should consider the use of the application of tourniquets. Then it became considered that the application of tourniquets in such circumstances was inappropriate because if you had a uh, uh, injured limb that was... um, uh, had um, a severe tissue trauma, perhaps the patient was in shock, but the application of a tourniquet would take a low, inadequate blood flow oxygen delivery circumstance to a circumstance in which there was no blood flow, no oxygen delivery, and create further tissue damage to the injured extremity and perhaps result in limb loss uh, or other complications such as mentioned in this paper, such as neuropraxia. It is interesting that uh, with uh, improvements in technology in protecting the the battlefield uh, warrior, that uh, the improvements in body armor and helmets and so forth at the um, extremities are are certainly an area that is not shielded and therefore um, this has become a a major source of battlefield casualties is major extremity trauma. I think that the old paradigm of saying, well, you're going to have potentially more uh, limb um, tissue uh, trauma is losing sight of the fact that you may have a soldier or a civilian uh, victim, for that matter, who could potentially lose their life from these injuries. This is another topic that I think it's interesting that when we talk about truth, my residents will hear me say that, you know, as a university professor, you know, universities are, are the home of, quote, truth and beauty, and we should be seeking truth with a capital T. And therefore, what we do as a practice in 2009 may not be an appropriate practice in 2015 as we uh, learn more about the injuries and learn more about our therapies. And this is certainly an example of that. So don't become entrenched saying, well, this is the way we've done it for years. Well, repetition of error is not experience. I'm going to take some uh, points from the author's discussion, which I think really uh, are very articulate. And they go on to say, they say, the main finding of this present study are that emergency tourniquet use in our population, i.e. battlefield casualties, was in both military and civilian, was strongly associated with saved lives, and the sooner they were used, the better the patients did. Particularly, the patient did not go into shock before the tourniquet was applied. And this gets into their data that um, those patients who had it applied pre-hospital or prior to the development of shock had a better survival than those who didn't. And you can get into a little bit of a chicken and egg phenomena that those patients who had uh, it applied before they went into shock, well, they, they probably 
could not they may have not gone into shock and therefore there may be a selection bias there meaning that you're putting tourniquets on people who have lesser injuries and and in the paper the authors go into uh, some statistical evaluation of that looking at different types of uh, injury severity scores not stuff that really uh, makes interesting podcasts because of a lot of physiological data presented in graphical form but again if you're interested in this go to uh, the article and I'll, I'll try to post it on my website as well um Tourniquet use was uh, associated strongly with survival as shock was absent at the time of use, and pre-hospital use was associated weakly with survival. Again, getting it on more quickly or more earlier, uh, somebody who, again, who was uh, uh, arguing this paper would say, we are putting them to healthier people. Um, and I don't think that argument would really stand, uh, stand up uh, to a good argument, though. Use in shock absence was associated with more life-saving uh, than use in shock presence. Pre-hospital use was associated with more life-saving than the emergency department use. Now, these findings are likely related to the decreased rate or volume of exsanguination and improved extremity hemorrhage controlled by pre-hospital tourniquet use. And this makes perfectly good sense. And this was the point that we were trying to make earlier is that, you know, it's the treatment for bleeding is to stop the bleeding. And, um, you know, the, perhaps the best way for that in an extremity injury is, is application of a tourniquet and, and therefore, um, um, after that, you know, direct pressure or, or repair of the blood vessel. Uh, this gets into some of the other arguments is that, you know, when people are bleeding, they're not particularly bleeding crystalloid solutions, and therefore the best thing to do for the patient is stop the bleeding. And the tourniquets are clearly doing that. The authors go on to also make a good point that uh, when a tourniquet is indicated, you should certainly place it uh, before extrication and transportation is advisable whenever possible. The authors go on to say that they think that most tourniquets first placed in the emergency department should have been placed in a pre-hospital setting and ideally before the development of shock. And that, that makes perfectly good sense. They go on to say that awareness that casualties can exsanguinate rapidly to death within a few minutes from isolated, compressible limb injuries should be emphasized in training, although most casualties bleed more slowly. The reason why the shock absent versus present tourniquet use had a greater treatment effect than pre-hospital versus emergency department use was that shock onset is physiology-based, whereas the pre-hospital versus ED is a geography-based outcome variable. And I think that's, that's a really great point. The authors report that this current study is the largest study to date in terms of the number of patients the tourniquets used, and their data is concordant with the experience of other authors, namely Wolf and Atkins and Langstein and colleagues. Um, in 2003, Langstein and colleagues reported a retrospective study from Israel, and they had 91 patients, 110 limbs, 110 tourniquets, and three different modes of tourniquets. Now, in that particular study by Langstein, they had no deaths and few data comparisons. Um, uh, the current study um, that we're talking about here, uh, the one by Krog and colleagues, demonstrated uh, tourniquet use 29 times that of Langstein, and their average limb injury uh, severity of the pre- present study was much higher than the Langstein paper. Langstein and colleagues were criticized by some colleagues for being unable to show that tourniquets were useful, life-saving, or worth the risk. Further, um, 
the current paper we're talking here about Krog and colleagues uh, was diverse in comparison to the Langstein study. The Langstein study had one nationality. Uh, they were all men, no children, no elderly, no civilians, and had only used uh, uh, only pre-hospital tourniquets of uh, fewer types. Now, another paper by Beckley and colleagues summarized a retrospective review from the same hospital as um, Krog and, uh, the current study, and it was the beginning of a widespread tourniquet implementation. Now, the paper by Beckley and colleagues had 67 tourniquet patients and found an additional four of seven patients that died without tourniquets yet were potentially salvageable. The most important factor in improving survival uh, in, our, in this current study was attaining rapid hemorrhage control with an appropriately placed tourniquet, thus limiting the risk of negative effects of shock. And the current study provides the largest data set of the greatest depth regarding tourniquet use. So again, this is, a, a, I think, a, a very important paper. The paper is entitled Survival with Emergency Tourniquet Use to Stop Bleeding and Major Limb Trauma. The author is, senior author is Colonel John Krog. Associate authors are uh, Thomas Walters, uh, David Baer, uh, Charles Fox, Charles Wade, uh, Jose Salinas, and um, Dr. Uh, and Colonel uh, John Holcomb. Uh, this is, a, I think, a significant contribution to the literature. Uh, it will continue to save lives, certainly in my opinion, on the battlefield, but has significant implication for uh, application to civilian trauma settings. Uh, tourniquets are rather simple to apply. Uh, certainly it could be done something within scope of practice of a paramedic, as well as a basic EMT and most likely a first responder. You've been listening to the podcast, Surgery IC Rounds. My name is Dr. Jeffrey Guy. Try out some of our other podcasts, uh, which include Pharmacology for the Pre-Hospital Professional. Have some interview podcasts over on the MedTalk Network, as well as the podcast, phtlspodcast.com. Thank you for downloading. <laughs>